I am a fan of, of quoting from old dead guys, uh, so let me start this morning's message quoting from an old dead guy that you may be familiar with. John Owen, the 17th century English pastor and theologian, once said, The hearts of all men are fat, their ears heavy, and their eyes sealed, that they can neither hear nor perceive nor understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. These things belong unto the work of the Holy Spirit upon their minds. These things belong unto the work of the Holy Spirit upon their minds. But do you believe that? Do you really believe that? We at times find it easy to believe that's true in other people's lives, right? We've talked about that over the last few weeks, how the Holy Spirit and the Word of God brings redemption into the lives of other people, and the gospel and the Word of God sanctifies them due to His Word. But do we apply that same principle to ourselves? It can be so easy to think and to live like salvation or spiritual maturity comes from something inside of us, something exceptional or something impressive about us. And to look down on other believers as second-class citizens because they don't have the same maturity we do. Do we really believe that the things or these things belong into the work of the Holy Spirit upon their minds? Paul's next topic in 1 Corinthians deals with that subject precisely. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16, Paul tells the Corinthian church that spiritual wisdom and therefore maturity comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, and so therefore it demands humility. Spiritual wisdom and maturity comes from the work of the Holy Spirit and therefore demands humility in our lives. And this morning, as we read through the text and walk through it together, we're going to see three steps to grow in humility and spiritual wisdom. See if you can pick them out as we read 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16 together. Follow along with me. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand these things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths for those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the fact that we do have the mind of Christ. That not only you condescended to come to this world and save us, but that you 
gave freely the gift of your Holy Spirit to us. So Father, as we study these truths about your Holy Spirit, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our midst, that you would convict hearts, that you would change lives, Lord, that you would remind us of your holiness. We've sung so many songs this morning about how holy and awesome and amazing you are, and yet it is so easy to just say those things without really considering them. Lord, you are holy. You are so unlike us. You are unapproachable in your amazing, awesome power. You are totally different than we are. You are sinless. You are perfection. You are light. You are good. You are love. And the list could go on and on. We praise you for who you are. And we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you've given as a gift to us, through the word that you've given us through your speech, that you would use it in our lives together this morning. Lord, conform us to the image of Christ. Make us into the image of your Son through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, uh, then you're not familiar with it. At this point in the letter, uh, Paul has identified the Corinthians church's pride. uh, And he is systematically setting about demolishing it. So if you think you've picked up on a common theme of pride and humility over the last few weeks in 1 Corinthians, you're picking up on the right thing. So far, he has addressed the source of their leadership divisions in the church. And he has emphasized that the message of the gospel is more important than the method of their preaching. Right? That it's about the message, not their method. Then he said it's about the message of Christ and him crucified, not about the messenger delivering it. In 2 Corinthians, he would go on to say, we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's not about the messenger, it's about the message. Now he brings up the Holy Spirit's role in all of this. And he says, to grow in humility, to grow in spiritual wisdom, we must do three things. We must do three things. First, we must marvel at God's illumination. We must marvel at God's illumination. We'll see that in verses 6 through 9. Second, in order to grow in spiritual wisdom, we must appreciate God's initiation, that God initiated for our good and his glory. We're going to see that in verses 10 through 13. And then lastly, we must celebrate God's transformation, what he has done in our lives and in our hearts through the power of the Spirit. Marvel at God's illumination, appreciate God's initiation, and celebrate God's transformation. Let's tackle those one at a time. First, we must marvel at God's illumination. Look at verse 6. He starts off by saying, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Over the last few weeks, he's been talking about how the wisdom that God has is seen as foolishness through the world. The world views it as foolishness, but what he says is, Though it's perceived as foolishness by the world, we do possess a real wisdom. The world may look at the message of the gospel and they may say that's a foolish message from a foolish preacher to a foolish people, but there's something greater going on here that the world is missing. He says there is a wisdom here, there is a wisdom in the message of the cross, in the gospel and the gift of redemption through Jesus Christ. And then he notes five things about God's wisdom here. And I just want to walk through them real briefly. Five things that are worthy of our time and attention, five things that we should marvel at in God's wisdom and the gospel. Look at verse six. He says, we impart, or we do impart wisdom, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Excuse me. 
It's interesting, he draws a delineation here between those that are mature and those that are immature. Down in chapter 3, verse 1, look there with me, he's going to go on to describe the Corinthians. He's going to say, and we'll talk about this next week, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's hearkening back to what the real problem at play here in this Corinthian church is. Remember, he's not addressing their questions yet. He's got to address the more fundamental issue at play with them. He's saying, you are not spiritual people. You are not acting with a maturity to understand spiritual things. And so he says, yet among the, wit- or the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now let me take a moment and pause here on this. <laughs> because there's, there's something that's worth noting here. In this maturity versus immaturity conversation. And that is that age does not equal spiritual maturity. Neither your physical age nor the amount of time you have been a believer does not mean necessarily that you've attained a level of spiritual maturity. The youngest among us may be the most spiritually mature. Kids and youth, you don't get a pass on spiritual maturity. It doesn't wait for you to arrive at a certain age and think, then I have to grow up. Spiritual maturity is better indicated by your craving for spiritual things. Do I have a hunger and a desire for God's word? Do I have a hunger and a desire to be with him, to be in prayer and to be around God's people? You could have been a believer for 40 years and have a lot of gray hair, and that's not the case in your life. He says, but to the mature, we impart spiritual wisdom. He notes that God's wisdom is imparted to the mature. Second, he says, God's wisdom is foreign to this age. Look back at verse 6. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He says this wisdom is fundamentally a different kind of wisdom. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. The world has one kind of wisdom and they look at the wisdom of God and they say that's foolishness. Well, in God's wisdom, he looks back and says that kind of wisdom is doomed. He says it's a different kind. And we know this intellectually And yet, we find ourselves surprised when the world acts like the world, don't we? We're shocked when the world acts by their wisdom and their system, and we go, what's the deal? Why don't they act like we do? Well, God is saying right here, they act that way because their wisdom is different than the wisdom that we operate by. And that wisdom is doomed to expire. It has an expiration date. At some point, it will come to an end. So he says God's wisdom is foreign to this age. And then he builds on that. More even than that, Paul says God's wisdom is hidden from this world. Look back at verse 7. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Think about that says, we have a secret and a hidden wisdom, a wisdom that the world doesn't understand so badly that the rulers of this age totally misunderstood it, and so they put Jesus Christ to death. Think of Herod and think of Pilate in the story of Jesus being put to death. And they stand before the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, truth personified, and say, what is truth? They didn't understand it. And so they put Jesus Christ to death. And I can't help but think of Jesus' own words on the cross before he died. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
it doesn't make sense to this world because it's been hidden from them. It's a secret. It's a hidden wisdom. Then he starts to shift gears a bit, and it gets better. Look back at verse 7, and he says, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. God's wisdom was decreed for our glory. Ponder that for a moment. Before the foundations of the world, God the Father said, I am going to send my son to redeem this people who are going to rebel against me. And I'm going to call out people, the weakest and the lowliest and the not wise, and I'm going to call them back to myself. And he made that decision eons ago before time ever began. And he decreed it for our glory, for our good, because he set his love on us. Think about that for a moment. These are truths that we just fly over in our Bible reading. Incredible realities about God's plan of redeeming a people for himself. And we don't even think about the fact that God decreed that ages ago, and he did it for our good and his glory. God's wisdom is decreed for our glory. Lastly, God's wisdom, verse 9, is beyond our imagination. Look at this. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen the incredible reality of what God has prepared for his people. No ear has ever heard about the amazing reality of God and what he has done for us. Your heart can't even imagine how good it is. This was God's plan before the foundation of the world. This doesn't make any sense to the rulers of this world that you would live for a future hope and reality that you can't see, that you can't hear, that you can't touch, and that you can't quantify in scientific terms. It makes no sense. You guys have had those sort of conversations with friends and neighbors and coworkers, I expect. Like, what is wrong with you? Live for today because that's all there is. When you're dead, you're dead. God says... The good that we are living for today, the good that God planned eons ago that we would walk in, is beyond our imagination to even comprehend. That is what waits for us. That is what he holds out. This is the wisdom of the Spirit. His point here is that God's wisdom, though hidden from this world, has been decreed for our glory and is beyond our imagination. But the Holy Spirit must illuminate. God must turn on that light. He must reveal that truth. He must declare that reality in order for us to understand. And this is important for the Corinthian church to understand because they need to know that that illumination is not the result of their eloquence. It's the result of God's Holy Spirit. It's kind of like if you can imagine with me that you find yourself for one reason or another in a dark tunnel, in a cave or something like that, right? And I don't know if you're shipwrecked or what you fill in the story. For whatever reason, you find yourself in a dark tunnel and no flashlight, no light, and you're just kind of groping along, feeling along the sides of the walls, trying not to bump into anything and hurt yourself, right? You don't know what's going on and you're scared and you're concerned and everything is dark. And then the lights come on and you discover that you're actually in a diamond mine. And the light is reflecting off of all of the glories and all of the brilliance in those diamonds that you never saw before. And in that moment, what is your response? From darkness 
to light and brilliance. You're going to marvel at what you're seeing, right? You're going to stand in awe and wonder because that beauty you didn't know just a moment ago has all of a sudden been revealed to you. And as a result, you're going to marvel. You're going to stand in awe of the beauty of what you're seeing. That is the first step in spiritual maturity, in recognizing God's wisdom to simply marvel at what God has done. When was the last time you simply meditated on and marveled at what God has done for you? When was the last time you were just overcome by the reality that this has been God's plan before the foundations of the world? That he chose to call you out, that he chose to turn the light bulb on in your head and reveal this incredible reality to you? Consider how that would impact the way you worship God. To ponder and to meditate on God's illumination in your life. That he chose to reveal this secret hidden wisdom to you. Consider how that would impact your time in devotions and time in the word. If you came expectantly saying, the spirit is going to reveal an incredible truth to me. That doesn't mean every time you read your Bible you're going to have some mountaintop experience, but the same old, it's like, it's like okay, that old hymn, right? Tell me the old, old story. We don't like old. We like novel and new in our culture today, right? But he says, tell me the old, old story because we need to marvel at that same old story. It would have a dynamic impact on the way we read God's word. It would have a dynamic impact on the way we listen to the truths that, yes, we've probably heard before, but we need to see afresh. So first, we must marvel at God's illumination. But that's not all we must do. We must also appreciate God's initiation. Look at verse 10. He goes on with this list about what wisdom is. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. God has revealed these things through the Spirit. Now, he didn't say these things God has revealed to you because you were such a good Bible student. That matters. I'm studying the Bible, like, okay, These things God revealed to you because Apollos was such a great speaker. No. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And it's worth noting here that Paul stresses the divinity and the personhood of the Holy Spirit. You will hear people say in different theological circles that the Holy Spirit is more like a a force or a mode of God. The truth of what God's Word teaches is that the Spirit is equally God, one in three, and the Holy Spirit is unique in personhood, but is part of the Godhead. Without the Spirit's revelation, we would be just like the worldly rulers he just mentioned, oblivious to the truth of God's Word. We'd be oblivious. We would be totally ignorant. We would have put Christ on the cross exactly the same way they did. But how does this happen? This is an important progression to note because this is something that to just appreciate, you have to understand how God chose to do this. Look back at verse 10, and Paul explains how this spiritual revelation comes about. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The first step in this process is the Spirit knows God's thoughts. This makes sense, right? He's he's using kind of a metaphor that we would understand, right? Only you know what's going on in your head, correct? Nobody can guess. There's no real mind readers out there, despite X-Men and all all of that sort of stuff, right? 
Nobody can guess at what's going on in your head. Nobody has the telepathic ability to know what's going on in your head except you. No one can read your mind. No one can tell where you want to eat dinner. No one can tell you what you want for Christmas. This is not, mar- this is not about marriage. I don't, I don't need to worry about this text. No one can read your mind. But the point is, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of Christ, knows the mind of God. He's saying, similar to that, the Spirit knows God's thoughts, right? The Spirit knows what's going on in the mind of God. Hold on to that, because then in this incredible reality, look at verse 12. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Follow this progression. The Spirit knows the mind of God, And God, in his wisdom, has given you the Spirit. Not the Spirit of this world, not the wisdom that this world ascribes to, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? To help you understand and accept the free gift of God. Right? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And this is precisely the way Jesus describes it in John chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. He says, These things I have spoken to you, speaking to the disciples, while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the Spirit to teach you the truths of what I've said, to bring that reality to bear on your mind and on your heart. It's kind of like, Getting a Christmas gift, but actually getting it with the batteries in it. You've all received a Christmas gift or a birthday gift with no batteries, right? My kids get it all the time. It's one of the most disheartening things. They're like, yes, and then there's no no batteries, and they can't do anything with it, right? This isn't like that. He's saying, I have instructed you what you need to know, but I've also given you the spirit to empower your understanding of it. You have the batteries. It's going to work. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit who inspired this book to be written in dwelling in you. So he said, the Spirit knows the mind of the Lord. You have been given the Spirit. So as a result, verse 13, you speak and teach spiritual truths. Look at verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, not eloquence, Not Apollos, not Paul, not Cephas, but human wisdom taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Right? The Spirit teaches us and informs us, and so we teach others. We teach those who are spiritual. This progression is critical because Paul is trying to help them understand how they got this incredible wisdom that they pride themselves on so much. It wasn't you. The Spirit knows the mind of the Lord. God gave you that Spirit, and that is what enables you to teach and to share spiritual truths. It's not your brilliance. It's not your eloquence. It's not your gifts. It's God's Spirit given to you freely. We are given God's wisdom by the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In this situation, God must initiate. God must initiate. He takes the initiative. 
He sends the Spirit so that we can understand things, not we work hard enough that we can comprehend it. It's the Spirit's doing in our hearts and our minds. It's similar to like attempting to climb Mount Everest. I don't know if you have ever had that desire. I know a lot of people are like, I want to climb Mount Everest one day. I don't know how tall Mount Everest is, but this enormous mountain, right? And it involves all of this preparation. You got to learn how to climb and you got to get the right equipment and you got to find a guide and you got to wait for the right weather. And then you start climbing up this and a lot of people have to turn around and come back down. And so they try again and they start climbing up Mount Everest. And at some point, they reach the summit of Mount Everest and they're on the top of the world, right? Both figuratively and literally, right? They're on the highest point in the world. And they're also thrilled because they summited Mount Everest. You're saying it's not really like that, guys. It's not really like you worked so hard and you got yourself to the top of this mountain. He's saying it's more like you got in a helicopter and the Holy Spirit dropped you off at the top of the mountain. Some of you are going, that sounds like cheating. You know, believe it or not, I was researching this this week. It's actually really hard to take a helicopter to the top of Everest because the weather is so bad and the wind is so bad. It's, there's only like one guy that's ever done it. But the illustration holds. You understand my point? The point is you didn't climb this incredible summit. You didn't reveal these truths to yourselves. The Holy Spirit picked you up and dropped you on top of the mountain so that you understood them. It was the Holy Spirit's work, which causes us to humbly accept God's good gift, doesn't it? It causes us to recognize that we didn't earn it, but we need to appreciate it. And think about how that impacts the way we view teaching, right? Right? And we impart words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. The best teaching is simply truth that's been revealed through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, to the people of God. It's a gift from God. Consider the impact this has on the inputs we have and allow to speak into our lives. The Holy Spirit is using God's revealed truth to bring us to spiritual maturity and to bring us to the mind of Christ and the humility of Christ. What inputs are we giving the Spirit to work with? What things are we allowing to speak into our minds and our hearts that the Spirit can use to shape and mold us? But there's one final step toward humble spiritual maturity. We must celebrate God's transformation. We must worship and celebrate God's transformation. Look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. Or they are folly to him, for he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Here Paul then takes and he compares the natural person, what you were like without the Spirit, to the spiritual person, what you're like with the Spirit. He says, this natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, right? He rejects the things of the Spirit. Why? Because they're folly. They're perceived as foolishness. Remember back in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, when he said, the Jews and the Gentiles demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the difference between rejecting this message and receiving this message is the Spirit's influence in your life. Because these truths are, quote, spiritually discerned. Right? What we've just talked about. They are given by the Spirit. In our natural state, Hear me on this. In our human wisdom and natural ability, every single one of us would reject God's salvation and his wisdom. 
in our natural state, in our own ability, every single one of us would reject God's salvation and reject God's wisdom. We'd find it foolish. We'd say this makes absolutely no sense to me in our own selves. However, verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Judges or examines, studies, investigates, looks around at the world and looks at it through the lens of the Spirit and the Word of God and says, I understand rightly what's going on here. That's enabled by the power of the Spirit in our lives. And it's interesting to note here that he says, and is judged by no one. Is judged by no one. It's an interesting phrase. What we know it cannot mean is that we are judged by absolutely no other person. As if we stand above everybody else's discernment and we are an island unto ourselves, accountable to no one and responsible for nothing. Because later in the book, specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul encourages making judgments about other believers. He's going to encourage the church to spiritual or to church discipline on someone within the church in chapter 5. See, there's this common misunderstanding out there, mostly taken from Matthew chapter 7 judge not, lest ye be judged. And so that means I am accountable only to myself. No one can judge me and no one can speak into my life. Well, that's not what Jesus was saying there, and that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying instead we are not judged by the natural person. We are not judged by the system of the world or by the wisdom of the world. We see something different. The world may reject it. It may not make any sense to them, but we judge all things through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. Why? Because verse 16 We have the mind of Christ. He says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Right? Who can compare with God? This is Isaiah 40 that we read leading up to the message. God's wisdom is incomparable, right? Incomparable would be the way you say that word. Um, God's wisdom cannot be compared to our wisdom, it can't be compared to our understanding. Instead, we have been given the mind of Christ. We now have the mind of Christ. Remember when this came up last? Do you remember the last time we talked about the mind of Christ? Go back to chapter 1, verse 10. When Paul made his initial appeal, and he's going to come right back around to this in chapter 3, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And he comes back in verse 16, he says, but we have the mind of Christ because we've been given the Spirit of God. We have the mind of Christ. I think where this is all driving is without the Holy Spirit's initiation, without the Holy Spirit's illumination, we would be ignorant of God's wisdom. We would be oblivious to it. Does that not make you want to celebrate? Does that not make you want to worship God for what he has given you? We can't take credit for it. But all of a sudden, when we see clearly both the realities of the gospel and the message of God's word, we should celebrate the fact that the Spirit has illuminated that in our hearts and minds. It's somewhat like finding the right prescription. I've mentioned to some of you before, I have contact lenses, right? Uh, And I have been for years going in to see the eye doctor. Um, And as a kid, it was kind of intimidating, you know, because they shoot that puff of air in your eye and that feels terrible. Those of you that have glasses know exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody else is like, what? Uh, 
you go into the eye doctor's office, and in order to figure out the right prescription, they put what looked like, like a glorified set of binoculars in front of you. And they close one eye at a time, and they flip these lenses around in what it seems like a random way to try and help you see what's clear and what's not as clear, right? The eye doctor will be like, okay, is one clear or is two clear? And you'll be like, one. You'll be like, is one clear or is two clear? You're like, two. Is one clear or two clear? You're like, I have no idea, truthfully. Like, I'm just making this up, because a lot of times it looks exactly the same to me. But the eye doctor knows what he's doing, right? He's figuring out what sort of lenses you need to be able to see what's on the wall clearly. And if I were to walk out of that room with the correct pair of glasses and be like, I can see now, this is wonderful, I did a really good job on that chair telling the doctor what to do. It'd be ridiculous. The reality of it is the doctor who knows what he's doing, that's giving me the right eyes to see, is the one I need to be thanking. And that's the same thing about here. The only cure for the lack of vision in our hearts is the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God when He reveals to us that truth do we say, look what I figured out? Or do we say, thank you, Lord, for revealing what I would not have understood in my own strength? The final step in spiritual maturity and understanding what's going on here is to be thankful for God's transformation in your life. Think about what this does to our pride, to our sense of superiority, our feeling like, we're the ones that got it all figured out. We're the ones that have the corner on the market. We're the ones that are so intelligent and so understanding so that we can figure it all out. Consider the impact of this on Christian superiority. Those that think they're so mature and they're going to tell the rest of the believers in the church what they need to understand. It's not that there isn't a place for spiritual discernment, but there is no place for Christian superiority. I've got it figured out. Let me tell the rest of you what you need to know. If in doubt, it's the Lord has finally gotten through my thick skull, let me share it with you. And the greater reality that's going on in the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul is trying to stir them up to brotherly love. The, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to give you a heads up here, that, that, that is not about marriage, okay? The 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians really isn't about marriage. The section on brotherly love, right? Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's not about marriage. It's about brotherly love in the church. And before getting to that chapter on love, he's got to first say, your pride is undermining your brotherly love. Because when you come at it thinking, I've got it all figured out, and I'm going to tell them something, you have no sympathy and no affection for where they're at. Dynamically changes how we approach our brothers and sisters in Christ if we recognize that we need to appreciatively, thankfully, mercifully thank God for what he's done in our hearts. Which brings us to our key point for this week's message. The wisdom of God is revealed by God to create spiritual people. Notice the lack of emphasis on what we do there. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit of God to create spiritual people. We receive this gift. We receive the gift of the Spirit to help us understand the Word of God. Therefore, to pursue spiritual wisdom, 
to pursue what he's calling us to, this maturity that is given to those that are wise. We marvel at the glory of God's illumination. We appreciate the gift of God's initiation. And we celebrate the grace of God's transformation. He has done it all. We are recipients of an incredible reality, an incredible truth, an incredible wisdom. And we need to be reminded that that is a gift from God. I ran into the quote, or this quote this week by Mark Bates, and I don't know much about him other than I just found into a message of his on the Gospel Coalition's website. And it was totally unrelated to this, and I just, I just ran into it otherwise. But I love the way he puts this. He says, In everything man does without God, he must either fail miserably or succeed more miserably. The cruelest thing God can do to you is let you succeed and think you did it on your own. He goes on and says this, Because you'll live your life independent of him, and that's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. To think you did it on your own strength and to therefore live independent of God is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. And that's the way the church in Corinth was operating, as if they were independent of God and they didn't need God's help. So Paul reminds them that spiritual wisdom and maturity comes from the work of the Holy Spirit, and it therefore demands humility in all of us. Let's pray. Father, we profess that as we said last week, we are hardwired for arrogance. The human heart intuitively wants to set ourselves above others and above you. And that's been true ever since the fall with Adam, where you wanted him to operate under your authority by your word, and he said, nope, I'm going to make my own decisions. And I confess that I am so guilty of that. We are guilty of that, of saying we have earned by some merit of our own a certain knowledge or a certain wisdom or a certain reality, and then we look down on other people around us. Father, we know that we don't simply become humble by willing ourselves into it. We are humbled when we're faced with the truth of your word and with how holy and awesome and amazing you are. So Lord, impress upon us our need to marvel at what you've done, our need to appreciate what you've done, and our need to celebrate the transformation you have done in our hearts and minds. We pray this through Jesus Christ's name. Amen.